perfect will will be accomplished and that souls will be brought into the kingdom of God, that the powers that be and those in leadership, Lord God, would be guided by your hand. Lord, we ask it in your name. We pray, Father, for those that are suffering in body. Lord, I ask for your healing touch. Those who have need tonight, Lord, in family, relationship, Lord, I ask God that you would encourage and strengthen them. Lord, we love you and we thank you tonight. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you, worship team this evening, ministry team. Praise God. Give those guys some love tonight. <clears throat> Won't you take your Bibles with me, if you will, and go over to Luke, Luke the 8th chapter. As you're turning there, a couple of announcements so that I don't forget. Uh, the LOLs and the prospectors will be meeting down at the Day Start Coffee Bakery downtown on Lee Street at 10.30 a.m. in the morning. And also the ladies, uh, the Flourish um, group, ladies group will be meeting in the sanctuary. And that will be at 7 o'clock on Friday. And also voting members, remember that the uh, nominations will be closing this Sunday. And so three positions that we'll be voting on position three and four, and also uh, on our secretary for our annual business meeting. And so if you would like to make a nomination, please do so and drop it in the offering box in the back. We appreciate it. Let's look here in Luke, Luke the, the eighth chapter, Luke the eighth chapter. Father, we come before you just believing, God, that your touch will be upon us, that, Lord, that your words will be heard, and that your will will be done in this house tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to look here in Luke. We're going to be talking about a desperate father and a bankrupt woman. A desperate father and a bankrupt woman. As we look here to the, to the scriptures, I hope as we begin to open this up, and, and I will show you what drew me to this passage here in just a moment. But even what drew me to the passage got me kind of engrossed in this passage once again. And there's so much truth here. And so we want God to draw that out as he wheels tonight. And we're going to finish this service tonight in prayer. We're going to use this as somewhat of a prayer model. But I want you to look here in Luke, Luke the 8th chapter and the 40th verse. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him. They were all waiting for him, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. She was dying. But he went, the multitude, multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately the flow of her blood stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng, or throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody touched me. For I perceive that power is going out from me. 
Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him and said, Do not be afraid. Only believe. You will see her made well. When he had came to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father, and the mother, and the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. As we see here in the word of the Lord, how that there are two stories, two separate individuals, whose stories became eternally entangled. How many know tonight that when our story includes Jesus, it becomes powerful? Now, my story alone without Christ would just be tragedy. It would be nothing more than just agony. But when we include Jesus in our story, now it becomes his story. And when it becomes his story, it becomes powerful. When you are witnessing and talking to others, do not underestimate your story of Christ in you. Don't brag about what you've done for the Lord. Simply brag about what Jesus has done for you. Because that's what the world needs to know, that we're all on the same plane and that we need Christ and his help. Every last one of us. This story and the stories that, that we were going to look at tonight is a desperate father and a woman who has become bankrupt. Their stories together teach us of healing, teaches us of hope, and teaches us of hunger. Stories that teach us about how the pursuit and perseverance of the Lord can bring forth not only a healing, but also bring forth a resurrection. What we see here in this passage is that each one of them, when they left the house that morning, all they had to hold on to was hope. They had no idea of the outcome. They only held on in hope. Some of you got up this morning, and all you have is no, you don't have any evidence on the physical side. All you're holding on to is hope. Hope that God will take care of that situation. Hope that God will bring you through. Hope that the Lord will reach down and touch that loved one and will heal that disease. Or God will bring to life that child that is near death. You're at that place and all you have to hold on to is hope. 
The story begins with the man, as we know, as the ruler of the synagogue. Interesting bit of history. When there were 10 Jewish men that would come together in a community that they would start a synagogue. Now the ruler of the synagogue was just an elder within that group. They would meet on a regular basis. They would have services somewhat like ours. They would sing a hymn. They would have, they would recite the, the Torah. They would recite the, the prophets of old. And we would see that they would do scripture memorizations and such. And the ruler of the synagogue, his responsibility was to ensure that the holy scriptures would get to the, to the house and he would organize and so forth. So he was a man who was very well respected among his peers as he was voted in as the, as the elder and the ruler of that synagogue. We see that this man was in desperate need of God moving on behalf of his daughter. Maybe somewhere along the way he heard that Christ could heal. So he'd step out and begin to pursue. And many believe that as they are there in the city of Carponium, that possibly that was where Jairus resided. So he went in pursuit. And of course, not just him, but so many others were in the crowd pursuing after the Lord. Now we see that there's a woman whose journey began 12 years prior to this event. We see how that she was there as a woman who when Jairus brought forth his 12-year-old daughter, brought her into the world, that's when this unnamed woman, her difficulty began. Her body stopped functioning as it should. She was hemorrhaging. She became ceremonially unclean. She could not go into the synagogue. She could not go into the public places of worship because according to the law, she was unclean. She's isolated, alone, went to the physician. I have nothing against physicians. If I have a broke toe, I'm probably going to go to the doctor just to let them know they can't do anything with it. <laughs> Notice you get a broke toe, a broke rib, just stay home, save your money. They can't do anything with it. They're going to say, go heal. But we find out, we get sick, we go to the doctor, we find that instant cure, we find out what the remedy is to our problems. I have nothing against doctors. I thank God for, for, for physicians, but sometimes there's a limit to what the physician can do. Now this woman, she's, she's gone to one after the other after the other. She, all of her livelihood she has given and no results. Now she's bankrupt. She's isolated. She's all alone. She spent everything she had as far as we can tell. She can't get into the public areas. But she hears that there might be some hope in this man named Jesus, the Messiah, the healer. And so she ventures out, gets through the crowd. All of the crowd is crouching in around Jesus. They're all, they're coming out of the, Jesus is in the city and they're all coming around and they're gathering around him. And somehow, some way in her, in her weakness, she was able to reach down and touch the hem of his garment. I don't know if she had fallen and she had to reach out or maybe she just, the word says that she came up behind him. 
maybe she reached down, maybe trying to be unnoticed, and she, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. It's interesting because that word there can also mean border of his garment. It could also mean tassel. Now, when you think about the tassel, and many historians believe because of the, the word that he was wearing his prayer shawl. That tassel, many Jewish authors believe that the tassel that she touched was at the very bottom of that prayer shawl where very meticulously at the bottom of the prayer shawl there are, there are 613 knots tied in that prayer shawl. That when she touched that prayer shawl that represents the fullness of the law, the whole of the law, now, if she was reaching out for the promises, I don't know, but it's interesting, amen? But as we look at that, what we see is her proximity to Jesus. She was down low. But you also notice that whenever Jairus went to the Lord, his proximity was no different. He also fell and was at Jesus' feet. Mm. Hold on to that thought for a minute. But she presses through and she touches the tassel, the hem, the border of his garment. And when she does, immediately her body is made whole. Twelve years of suffering in an instant is over. It's done. It's complete. No more suffering in my body. But wait a minute. She went out of the house ceremonially unclean. She wasn't supposed to be out of the house. She wasn't supposed to be in the crowd. She's breaking all the rules. She found herself there. Jesus stopped. He said, who touched me? It's at that moment, Peter, the spokesman of the disciples, he said, who touched you, Lord? I don't know, about 5,000 people that way, about 10,000 that way. Who hasn't touched you? He said, no. See, because even if it was the border of his garment, with everything that was going on, possibly if it was the tassel of his prayer shawl, that physical touch could have gone unnoticed. But let me tell you, that touch of faith never goes unnoticed to the Lord because that faith in Christ and Christ alone, as he being the only help and hope, for healing that she had. She knew that no physical man had any remedy that could cure her of the difficulty that she was facing. There was no man alive that was able to take her out of her isolation and put her back into population. There was no one in modern in that day of science that could do anything to remedy. So her faith was in Christ and Christ alone. When she reached, she reached in faith and hope and belief that if she could just get 
close enough to Jesus. Oh, that the church would come back to the place where we would just get down on our knees and upon our face and say, oh God, we don't need religion. We don't need the works of man's hands. We don't need political leadership. What we need, almighty God, is we need to touch. We need to touch of the promises of the Lord. We just need to touch you in faith. Jesus said, stop the crowd. Hold on. Somebody touched me. How do you know that somebody touched you? Because power came forth out of me. Didn't drain him. Don't, under, don't, don't think for a moment that there's not more power to be had. More people could have been healed. But a lot of people were touching Jesus physically, but they weren't touching him in faith. And that touch of faith is what healed her 12 years of isolation, her 12 years of suffering, that quickly. And I believe that the power of Jesus Christ has not diminished, not even a little. I believe that power is still real and still available for children of faith that will just get on their knees and reach for God. I believe, folks, that people can kneel at an altar at the feet of Jesus and hold on to his promises and just reach up there and say, God, I need you. And they can get up changed from that moment. Now, words coming from Jarvis's house. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother her anymore. Your baby's gone. Your baby's gone. Oh, a lot of times I look at different translations, but I, I have to tell you, I like the King James translation of this response of Jesus more than any other that I read. He said, fear not, only believe, and she will be made Fear not, only believe, believe only, and she will be made whole. Now what caught my eye as I was reading in devotion, I ran across this story that I preached and I have looked at. I had preached the, the woman who's bankrupt and Jairus, and, and I, I, I've read that story. I've preached this story, but how many know the, the Word of God has a pulse? It, it's breathing. It's active. It's fluid. It's, it's the Spirit of the Lord that is saturating the, the book and the Word, and it's full of power. And let me encourage you, get into the book. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to say get into the book. Maybe one more time. Get into the book. Amen. Because God will speak to you. And in that, what caught my eye was the fact that once Jesus went into the house, once he went into the house and he raised the girl from the dead. I know I'm jumping ahead, but I'll get back to the, I'll back up there in just a minute. First thing he commanded when she came to life, give her something to eat. 
And again, I like the King James Version better than any other because it says, give her some meat. Give that baby girl some steak and potatoes. Sour cream and cheese, lots of butter. Get her a sirloin medium well. Make sure it's good and seasoned. Don't overcook it. It'd be warm in the middle and charred on either side, but needs it got a nice bit of pink on the middle. Amen. I know you may think that just lightly done is okay, but I I don't know. I just can't. Her dad used to say, just get that cow, slap its horns off, and put it on the plate. <laughs> I can't go that route. Give her some meat. What was the Lord declaring? She's hungry. Give her something to eat. I don't know how long she was sick, but she got to the point where her daddy knew that she was in trouble. He knew his baby well enough to know that she was in trouble. It's his only child. The only child that he has had. Here's Jairus, and he's, he's a man who, who is faithful because he's been chosen to be the ruler over the synagogue. We don't know how big that is. We know there's at least 10 men that follow him and look up to him. Here's Jairus, and he, he knows the word. He's been in the word. He knows the scriptures. He keeps as much as humanly possible the law, all the 613, but we understand that no human can fulfill all of the law because we're flawed. You can't do it. Only Jesus can fulfill every law. But, but there, he's a, he's a good Jew. He's a good man. He's trying to follow the things of God, but he knows that just keeping the law is not going to heal his baby. His good works is not going to be enough for his child to be made whole. Anything that is alive and healthy is hungry. Let me say that again. Anyone who is alive and healthy will be hungry. I'm just healthier than most. Can I get a witness? But Nora went for her checkup here the other day and some more of her shots. Nora's my one-year-old grandbaby. Now, this child eats, and she eats, and she eats, and she burns it off. She only has two speeds, full blast and stop. That's it. She has her daddy's metabolism. And since her last appointment, she lost a pound. Because she goes and goes and goes. You can take her to In-N-Out Burger and she can eat the whole thing, burger by herself, and she's about this big. <laughs> Go to get her a muffin, she'll eat every bite of it. She'll, she'll eat as long as you're feeding her. She's got one of those metabolisms, just burns and burns and burns. Why does she eat? Because she's healthy. Why is she hungry? Because she's alive. Now, if your child stops eating, it is an alarm to you because you know that that's not healthy. Whenever you've got a stomach virus, the last thing you want is a steak. 
In fact, the smell of it's going to make you sick. You don't want to get around food because you're not in health. But when Jesus touches you, let me say to you, you will not only come alive, but you will be hungry because you will be healthy. My mother bought me a present for eighth grade graduation. Do they still do that? Eighth grade graduation. We went. Anybody went to a great eighth grade graduation last year? Okay, they still do this. Eighth grade graduation for us. We were we called it junior high, and we would graduate out of junior high, and we'd go on to senior high, eighth grade to ninth. And I know that different cities break it up. I didn't own a suit, so I had to borrow one. Of course, it was three sizes too big, but it's the only one I could get. And, of course, you could take the neck of it and it hung about here and the tie was down there. And we couldn't, we got to get one of those snap-ons because we didn't know how to tie those ties. And so I traipsed across the stage in my suit. I, I didn't have swag. I was just trying to keep my suit from falling off of me. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever had those kinds of experiences? And every time we saw somebody in our family that had a suit on, it's like, oh, you're going to be a preacher. We was like the furthest thing from preachers. We was like, it was the biggest joke we ever had. But my mother bought me a Bible. She thought this would be an appropriate gift. She bought me a Bible. Man, I looked at it and I thought, boy, this is this nice stuff. Here I had my own Bible, leather bound, and or wait a minute, no, fake leather bound, but I was looking at it and it was, it was I'd take it out and I'd look at Holy Bible put it in the box, and I'd put it back on the shelf. Every now and then, I'd pull it out, and I'd like, the creases wasn't even broke on it. I got the thing in 1983. 1983. Now, this is not the box, because this is a Cambridge Bible box that I bought later, and it was a nice Bible, and I wore that one out too. But this was my first Bible my mother bought me. Now, whenever I had it, it had the cover on it, and the, the binding was not, i got to be careful. The, 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 you know how you open it up, and the bindings are just, they're not even broken yet? It stayed that way for well on a decade or so. But when Jesus touched me, it was the first thing I reached for. And I got into it. I got into it every day. It went where I went. I, I would sit at break at work and I would read it. And I was the freaky Bible thumper. My guys had come over to my workstation. We had a 15-minute break in the morning, 15 in the afternoon, and 30 minutes at lunch. 15 minutes, I was eating the Word. 30 minutes at lunch, I was eating my sandwich, and I was eating the Word. 15 minutes at the 3 o'clock break, I was in there. If we had to work overtime and had a meal, I'd get the book out. I was reading the Bible because something inside of me came alive. Jesus not only touched me, he put a hunger, and now I was iterating. 
entering into health and becoming healthier and healthier because I was getting nutrients that come only from the Spirit of God. And he was speaking to me. And oh my God, he was bringing revelation and understanding of who I am in Christ. Ah. Give her something to eat. Jesus touches people. They come alive and they're hungry. She's alive and she's hungry. So that makes her healthy. If you stop eating, my question is, you may not be healthy. As we look this passage here. He said, do not fear. Fear not. Fear not. Only believe that she will be made whole. Whole. Healthy. If the version of salvation doesn't bring wholeness, then we have misappropriated the gospel and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If there's not a hunger in the heart of the seeker, then they're not in health, and chances are they may not be alive. If the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand against the onslaught of the enemy and take on the characteristics of Christ, the only way to do so is to know who Christ is. And you can't know who Christ is outside the word because he is the word. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He's everything in our all in all. And we've got to get into the book. We've got to get into the word of God. We cannot pretend that we are whole if we are not hungry. We're not in health. So, fear not. What happens every time your babies get sick? This couple had to go through a situation where they've got a brand new newborn. And it was, I don't care, it's scary when babies have to stay in the hospital. It's torture and torment. Fear wants to grip our heart. We've been there. When Nora was born, we had to put her in the NICU for several days. It's a scary thing. Anybody who's ever had a sick baby in the middle of the night and they're, they're just limp like a, like, like a dictrag because, because their fever is so high and you're just trying to break that fever in the middle of the night and you're, you're doing everything you know to do and you're rocking and you're praying. It is a moment, an opportunity that become, can become scary. And mamas and daddies who have their babies grow up and decide they're going to go into the military and all of a sudden there's an Iran crisis over there. Next thing you know, there's a little bit of torture and torment that can come along with fear to grip your heart. But I'm saying to someone in this house tonight, the Lord says, fear not. Only believe. And your baby will be made whole. So at that moment, that ruler, that synagogue went with those words because he went with Jesus to the house. We didn't say that he, he allowed fear to grip his heart. We don't see any evidence 
Though that he, Jesus Christ, knows well enough to know when fear is lurking about. He knows well enough to know in the shadows of his light there's always some fear that is in out there. He gets to the house. It's Peter, James, and John says, come in here, gentlemen. I want you to witness this. He didn't say that, but that's what I'm expecting. They walk in, and already the mourners had been called. People showed up. They sensed in the air there was some death. <laughs> Let's go to the house. See, the expression of agony at a person's death, there would be oftentimes professional mourners that would show up. Real thing. It still exists today. You look it up. You need somebody to weep at a funeral? You can hire somebody. There's professional weepers out there. They'll do the job. They'll get it done. But even the poorest were expected to have two pipers and one mourning woman at a service. Now, the livelihood of these individuals depended upon that person staying dead. <laughs> if that person came alive, then they were not getting paid. Let's think about the practical side of that. Jesus came in and he said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. Ha! He is not. Get out of here. Crazy preacher man, what in the world? Get him out of here. We ain't getting paid. If he raises that... He's already been to Nain. He's already messed up that funeral. I heard about it because he showed up uninvited. They're carrying out to bury. I know because my cousin told me. My cousin lives in Nain, and my cousin in Nain told me about it. Watch out for Jesus because if he shows up and there's somebody dead in the house, you're not getting paid. <laughs> That's just my narrative, Okay. There's nowhere in scripture that says that. It's just something just came to me. First thing Jesus said is, you, 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 and you, 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 and you, whether you're paid or not, you're doubting. Doubt can't live in faith. Get out. Get. Get. Hear me. Doubt can't live in faith. If doubt enters your heart and mind, you just say, get. Get out. Move it. Mosey on. There's the door. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Go on. Get. That's how we say it in Texas. Get. And then Jesus spoke and that child was healed. There's two individuals whose positions were the same. They both left holding on to nothing but hope. They humbled themselves, sat falling at the feet of Jesus, and they walked with God into the house, and God healed, and God set free, and God delivered. 
there is a mammoth amount of blessing that is waiting to be dumped on the church today that we're going to need where sin abounds sin is abounding in this world today grace much more abounds there is an abundance of God's grace that he wants to pour into your life why is it so hard to convince, G, convince people that Jesus is the best and only and sure way why do we go to one extreme to the other to all ends of the earth? We go from, from riches to relaxation to work and to worry and to this and this relationship and that relationship. And if I just get a little bit more and get a little bit more of that, or if I just do better, then I'll be happy only to come up short. Why not just get to the end of yourself and reach out and say, God, you are enough. Let me step in to you. Mm. And we're going to pray together in just a moment. But I got a sneaky feeling that there's somebody in this house tonight and you've got a need that only Jesus can fix and feel. You've gone everywhere else. You've done everything else. Now it's time just to say, Lord, you're enough. You're enough. I just want you. You're the only one that can fix that situation. You're the only one that can heal that brokenness. You're the only one that can, can flood that void that's in my heart. Lord, I need you. But folks, let me say to you, there's a world outside. There's a world inside that's hurting, that is hopeless. And they're not whole. They're going through some sort of ritual of, of pretending putting a smile on their face while on the inside there's, there's, there's just agony over the fact that they're not whole. Jesus wants to make you whole. He wants you to eat from the bread of life and be made whole. Don't settle just for a touch when God wants to make you whole whole. Don't settle for your kids. Just throwing little signs of, of progress. Don't stop praying until they're all the way in and they're all the way out. Amen. You're not here by accident. I want you to stand. And if you're physically able, and if you're not, I understand, but if you're physically able, I want you to do something tonight. I want you to come down as a, as a sign of just, God, we're, we're coming to you. I want us to pray. Folks, it was what seemed a near miss with the Iran crisis. That could have turned. One of those mortars could have landed at the wrong place at the wrong time. Could have been one soldier take shrapnel from one of those bombs, and we would be in all-out war right now. 
Those of war veterans that are in here tonight, you know full well. And those of you that have lived a day or two, you know full well how dire that circumstance was. Our sons and our daughters could be shipped off in a moment's notice. Life can change in a minute. We need to be prayerfully ready. When we have more unsaved kids in our school than we have saved, we need to begin to pray. When we have more persons coming to church interested in, on the clock than we are whether or not God's going to move, then we have got to get to the place where we start saying, God, I need you to move. When we have uh, the divorce rate in the church equal to that of the world, then it tells me that relationships are falling apart uh, and I'm not telling you and I'm not pointing the fingers of blame. What I'm saying is when both parties are wholly committed to God, they have a greater chance of success. Let me say to you that as we're in this house tonight, let's get back to the place where we stop pushing off our spiritual responsibilities onto others and say, God, send me. I want to go. I want to be the one, Lord God, that steps out and steps up. Lord, I want to begin tonight in these altars to say, Lord, I want to be whole. Make me alive and hungry again. And I want, Lord God, to be be healed from the inside out and Lord I want to be a messenger of hope. I don't just want to be like Abraham trying to convince you not to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy. I want to be the one that says God let me step out and go down there and deliver the message to them. The judgment is coming. Get in the house. Come. These altars are open if you're able. I want you to come and let's cry out to God for just a little bit. If this message was for you and you need a touch in your spirit just as you come down, just lift your hands up to God. It's all right. And there's people closing their eyes right now. They don't even know you're down here. They don't even know who's in the pew. It doesn't make any difference. All I'm interested in is that you're praying. Let's go to the Lord right now.